Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. Mean Old Lion Media, where black and brown voices truly matter. Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of A Whole Mood. So last week, we kept it problematic, but we also kept it real with the irritated episode where JT brought on his list, and then I brought on my list, and we curated our own list from 10 to 1, the most irritated celebrities on this God Green Earth. And so I hope y'all enjoyed it. And so this week, trigger alert. I'm going to just let y'all know right now, and Alon is about to get ready to cry. I already know it. I'm going to cry on this episode. Mark this like maybe the, like the third, fourth episode I done cried on. Because we're talking about grief. Now, that is somewhat of an annoying topic, but it's inevitable. It's going to happen. It happens every day, and it happens in seasons. Um, they always say, like, death and grief comes in threes, right? They always say that. But no, this week, I have a very good friend of mine. When I say good, I mean, like, we got really close, like really, really quickly. Like I met her, that was Valentine's Day. So shout out to Roxy, Barbara Delalou. She introduced me to this beautiful soul. And then from then it was always like hanging out, hiking, doing yoga. She came in to celebrate my birthday. She gave me some cake, y'all. And we celebrated and she lit up a candle and she sung to me happy birthday and we manifested together. I actually shouted her out last week's episode. So this is Dawn. Hello. Welcome to the world of a whole mood, Dawn. Oh my goodness. This is a whole mood. I feel so good. Ah. Yeah, the intro was great. Oh, wow. thank you. I, it was like all that history and that like short amount of time, like you said. That's beautiful. It is, right? But it's like, it goes to show you like nothing is by mistake. Mm. And when something is so powerful and profound as when you like kind of meet up and you really mesh and you gel well with people, even in terms of like last Sunday, last Sunday was a whole that vibe. That was magical. Like, that was magical. Right? And you didn't even come to the brunch. The brunch was even more magical. Are you serious? It was like you missed the whole moment. It was everything. But no, there'll be other Sundays. And I hope everybody that came out for yoga uh, with Walk Good LA. So shout outs to them. Um, we do yoga every Sunday. Don introduced me to this. So that's even more crazy because I wasn't even like in my mood to even go. I was hungover <laughs> from celebrating my birthday. Mm -hmm. And Don hit me up just random and was like, hey, I know it's early or so last minute, but. Would you want to go do yoga on Baldwin Hills? And I'm like, I, well, no. What did you say? You said I don't have a yoga mat. I sure I, did. Oh. I, you know, I did one of them black makeup and excuse things, even though I really wanted to do it. I really wanted to do it. So she's just like, oh well, yeah, I got an extra mat. So, and I'm like, well, bitch, alone. You ain't got no fucking excuse at this point. Yeah. So I was okay. like, well, let's go. So I got over my hangover and then the magic started happening then. And I started inviting mm -hmm. people and everything. And then we started meeting more new people. Right. Good vibes only. Absolutely. 
And then, then just this past Sunday, you brought Wilson. Mm-hmm. He's a doll. Oh my gosh. You know what I appreciate? And I think the thing that makes me feel so comfortable is that I feel safe with you. Like I feel comfortable. Like right now, the fact that I am sitting in my house in my robe. Okay. Mm-hmm. And we have a your million dollar studio. Hey man, what you say? Let me tell you the way my God is set up. Ah. Ew. Come on. Let's give what? a praise before I want to touch crying. you. The Greek, can I touch it? Can I touch it? <laughs> this might be a moment. I'm going to be on the yacht. We're going to be on the yacht. And we're going to be manifesting, speaking things into existence right there. You know, a lot of things have been uh, coming to fruition. Oh, I love to hear that. It's one of those things that I was thinking like, you know, you ask for these things, but what you have to keep in mind is having the capacity to hold them. And what mm. happens when they all come out at once? Mm. I just want to share that. The reason why I shouted you out last week, because I shared some advice based on what my friend said. And he had said something very synonymous to what you said in my apartment, where he was like, I just feel like I'm drowning. And the only thing that's not underwater is my nose and my mouth for me to breathe. Oh, wow. And I remember what you said, where you was like, well, the only thing in this phase of what I'm going through right now is to hold my head above water. That's it. That's thing. it. That's all. And I we shouted you out from there. And that's mm. literally, and it's so funny. You're on the next episode right after. <laughs> How funny is that? I love this. I love this. See, but this is what she gives. She gives seasons of gratefulness. She gives feelings of just like pure happiness and joy within. And that is all of what this show is about. Like, so this is, this is me and Don. I love this, but no, Mm -hmm. let's just get right to the topic. So Don, have you ever experienced grief or what does grief look like to you? It's interesting. You said, what does it look like? Cause I'm all a person. I'm all about what things make me feel like Mm. as I reflect back. Grief or sadness, it was almost like a shock. And I experienced it firsthand watching my mother die from stage four breast cancer. And the thing about, I think, grief and sadness is that it can hit you at a level that you're just functioning. Like it's almost like a dream. And with my mother, and which is the makeup of who I am, who I've always seen is so strong, being able to do things, my brain really couldn't grasp the fact that she was sick and what that looked like. And it translated to me is that, oh, you're not trying. So I think there is a level of you get a little anger there. And it's like, because, well, what are you doing? And then why is this happening? It's like your whole world is rocked. It comes out in the little things. Like I remember her even just trying to open a can. And I was like, you're not trying. And to think of that, the fact that you couldn't open up a can of pop. You got 60, you couldn't hardly bring your fork to your mouth. And this is days before, you know, we would put her on hospice and, you know, she would transition. The thing I also feel like with grief is that it happens in moments, but you get through it by feeling it in each moment. And you get stuck in it, replaying the moments. So it's kind of like that thing of saying, keeping your head above water, because with that, you know, you're still breathing and you're in each moment because the focus is just to breathe. Versus I'm trying, not trying to go back, trying to fix what if this, what my focus is to breathe right now. What is right now in this moment? Okay. I feel it. Now the next moment has come. What do I feel? How do I move on? So once it happened, what was the process or the grieving process within that? Cause you know, there's always five stages of grieving, right? So can well, you like walk us through that? I'm a firm believer in God. And I do think that God has a way of protecting us, guiding us through things. I was living in New York. I was the local producer for the Yolanda Adams Morning Show. 
And this is a time where my mom, the cancer was starting to trigger. So that was a different moment for me is because I was in New York. My mom was in Detroit. And one of the things I would get up at 3.30 to make sure I'm down on 34th and Park at the station by 5.30. So the show starts at 6. My mom would call me every morning. I'm like, Ma, you do not have to call me. Well, Dad, I'm just going to call you. Mind you, that's 3.30 a.m. in Detroit. Nevertheless, she always did. And I guess where it started triggering or it started hitting me that how sick she really is, is that sometimes she would forget. Or when she would call, I would have a conversation with her and her thoughts weren't fluid because of the medication that she was on. And I'm like, Ma, what's going on? And I say what that process was is because being at with the Alana Adams Morning Show, it was gospel music. So it was like God was comforting me and putting that blanket on me because I don't know what I would have done if that wasn't there. Mind you, I mean, I like God, but I ain't going up in like gospel music all the time, but whatever it seemed fit, God knew to put this blanket on me. And I remember I would always hear one of my jams would be Marette Brown Clark, it ain't over. And so God says, it's over. And I think that constant encouragement that poured into me was there. At the time, I was also working at Music Choice, which was down on 34th and 8th. Mm-hmm. I remember when it was time for me to go home, because we would have the conversations, my sister and I, you know, my mom with the diagnosis. And at this point, the doctor was having, you know, telling us to get us the updates because mom was just woozy. And we, uh, what is it? I think it's the right to attorney or something like that. I can't recall yeah. right now. That power was a kind of, of blur- power of attorney. That's correct. That was a kind of blur for me. Uh, but I think, and I'm grateful for my sister because she probably spearheaded a lot of things. We would be on the phone with the doctor, and at the time, that all three of us would be on the phone, and my mom would be like, what do y'all want to do? And it was like, what do you mean by that? The doctor, or my sister had asked, she said, well, should I tell my sister to come out to Detroit? And she was like, yes, she should come out as soon as possible. Well, lo and behold, I did, and in the time that I did, and the reason why I saw it fit is because it was President's Day weekend. The same weekend that Whitney Houston's funeral was. So I was like, okay, I can get off work. Also, you said, well, hey, Dawn, how did you, what was this process like? Along with the gospel music, I always, I guess, found myself caught up in work. I worked so on keeping myself busy. Yeah. Because when my mom had stage four breast cancer, when she was first diagnosed, was when I first moved out into New York. So she had it for four years. Mm-hmm. And doctors couldn't understand how well she was doing. And, you know, I think a lot of it had to deal with a lot of stress and financial burdens that start to come about. And, you know, that's why I have to choose. And I think you have to choose to be happy. You have to choose to see the light. You got to choose to keep your head above water. Mm-hmm. So I had went back for that that weekend, you know, hustling out there for a dream. Money wasn't like that. Took the Greyhound down and I was going to fly back. And I remember I was still on my high because... I was voicing for, for Music Choice. They had Black History Moments. So it was like, you know, part of a dream was manifesting. I remember I was down there. And so uh, I got there. My mom was in a, they called it a rehab facility, but it was more like a nursing home. Basically, they said, well, hey, she had to regain her strength. Now, you got to think about it when you say, well, how, Dawn, how did this make you feel? This is a woman that I've known everything I know was for strength. I mean, she raised my sister and I on her own. She had breast cancer. This was her third time, but before that, it was twice. And seeing her handle us, your husband died when you had a three-month-old and three-year-old, then your mom died. So my mom exuded strength throughout our entire life. So she had to be in this rehab facility to regain her strength so that she could handle the next body chemo. Like I told you, probably the distraction, probably like it didn't really make sense. 
Even when I was there, I remember the first night I, there was an empty bed across my mom's room. So I slept there the first night, wasn't supposed to. But it was then, like I recall, when I told you about her not being able to defort to her mouth, um, not eating. Because, again, the distraction and also the distance that I had being in New York, I didn't see this at Right, you day. didn't see the day-to-day. Why? Because I'm like, wait, mom, what? You know, this is the woman. Yeah. She still called me. I still talk on the phone. I know, yeah. Mama, call you back. Donna, your mom, call me. You know, so to see this, it was still a level of shock. And I don't think my brain was really digesting it. I asked her, I said, well, Ma, you know, do you think I should go back to New York or should I stay here? And I remember she looked at me. She said, Don, I've already lived my life. Go and live yours. Well, I wasn't going to go. I mean, I was still going to stay, but I just wanted her to say stay. And, you know, whatever the case may be, she ended up saying stay. And I remember the nurse came in there and, Miss Hill, are you having trouble breathing? Would you like to go to the emergency room? And she said, yes. You know, her, her breathing became kind of laborious. I guess they say it's like, <sighs> and so I'm like, oh my gosh, what is happening? My sister isn't here at the moment. My sister, you know, at this time she had a premature baby. She had preeclampsia. It really, you know, she just went through a whole bout. And again, I, I'm so grateful for my sister because I don't even know what was going on with her in trying to balance this out. Yeah. You know, here she is. A 27-year-old or 28-year-old, I'm 25. I think about it now, how young we were. Like, what? Like, what? Yeah, y'all were just 20-something trying to figure out life for yourself, right? Trying yeah, to figure out. And going out? through these very adult things. People typically don't deal with those things stereotypically, right? I mean, you can never really put a sh- statistic on somebody's actual life to say, mm. you know, I feel like sociology teaches you, you don't deal with like, being a caretaker for your parents till you're like 50, maybe. You know what I'm saying? So when you deal with those things at early 20s, like, wait, this is not supposed to happen right now. Mm -hmm. But life takes its toll. You know what I'm saying? Life, it does its twists and turns as it should. So A couple months prior was the holiday. I remember we had to go to the hospital then because my mom was talking about her chest was hurting and we were doing laundry. And recently, um, a friend's dad died have some heart attacks. I'm like, is my mom about to have this heart attack? And then you have to think about it. I have to keep reminding and saying this. I've always viewed my mom as so strong. She's handled it. She's, she's going to get it done. She was in so much pain that she was crying out to her mother. Here's the strongest person I know that's screaming out to their mama. Yeah. What? I remember filling out the paperwork and, you know, answering the questions. Like I said, you got to, with grief, you can't hold on to things because you got to realize, and I feel like in every moment, and I'm, understanding this moment of grace and what that looks like and knowing that we do the best we can with what we know how. Now, whether or not we chose something different in that moment, that was the choice. You felt it, you thought it was right, and that's what you did. Regardless if there was something better, whatever designed you to choose that, that's what you did. So anyway, I say all that to say, my mother, she really couldn't lay down flat because I guess maybe because we've been fluid or remember I told you the labor the pressure breathing, with the breathing, yeah. But they wanted to put her in the scan. I don't know if it was MRI or whatever yeah. the case may be. Mm-hmm. That will call you to lay backwards. Yeah. Flat. And sit still. Yeah. So here she is. The doctor's asking me questions, filling out her name and information. At this point, I'm crying. She's looking at me. What's wrong? And I was like, you know, I'm just scared. I don't want to cry because, you know, you hear machines, there's lights, there's people moving around. She's there. It's like, am I in a dream? I just got here a couple of days ago. Oh my gosh, what's happening? They go and take her back. One of the things I feel like with grief will do, a grief will put you in some sort of guilt. Now, thank God I haven't played it into fully, but I said, 
should I have allowed them to take her in this MRI? Because that was the last time I spoke to my mom. I was able to uh. say that I love you. But at the end of the day, she was a very sick lady. I was calling my sister. I'm like, you need to get here. Probably there were, you know, semi-emergencies before because, you know, I'm in New York, so I don't know what other moments. So to my sister, it could have been like, we'll get there. Things will be fine because this is Janice. Janice she was Janice, going through the process. She ends up getting there when she can. So they put my mom through. The doctors come through. It was almost like slow motion. We in a hallway. The doctor's open. Like, we're up here screaming because we're like, are they about to say that she's gone? Because what happened was after my mom came from the MRI, my sister was there, the machine started beating. And they were like, she's coding. I almost just forgot that. Coding means you're flatlining. At the time, because my brother-in-law or ex-former brother-in-law, he's a funeral director. So my sister was savvy with the terms and because she's studied or interested in the medical field at one point. So the doctors come back. They were like, they were able to resuscitate her, but they had to be careful because, again, I keep telling you how strong my mom was. When people resuscitate you on your chest, that's a a moment where your bones can break your rib cage. Mm. When my mother found out initially she had stage four breast cancer, it's when I first moved out to New York. She got off my bed and it was like a snap, like a piece of chalk, like, and we went to the hospital. They found out that she cracked her femur. So you have to think about your femur is the strongest bone in your body. How dense could your bones have been at that point? And that was four years prior to the day that she laid and they were trying to resuscitate her. You know, I stayed in that hospital for a whole week because at first we were thinking like, okay, she'll come back too because she still had a pulse. Now, the only way we could know whether or not she was in pain was whether or not her blood pressure was going to go up. And I stayed in there all seven days. I would not leave. And it was to the day prior that we decided to take her off the machine that I went to my godmother's house. But I'd say that that grief for me was, is a very alone state. Yeah. Because I always felt like my sister, she had her husband, she had her family. Mm. But when I came home, it was to come home to my mom. What was home was my mom. And she ain't here. But you know what I'm so grateful for is that I got up every day and I went in that room. And I told her I loved her. I said everything that I thought I could say. I had a moment to be in the moment. You know, I don't know if grief ever stops because you just allow yourself to feel it. Mm -hmm. You just can't replay it. It was interesting that day, 25th of February. It took me forever to even remember that date. Mm -hmm. It was like a day where the sun wasn't out necessarily. It was like an overcast. But I remember they were taking off the breathing tube. We stepped out the room because I guess your body can, you know, the body may move or do something as they're pulling the tube out. And she still had a moment she was breathing on her own. But we had all said a prayer. And this is before they actually took the tube out, breathing tube out. And it was amazing. I'm so grateful that we all were able to be around her. Because, you know, I don't know, but I just, you know, you don't think about people could be alone when they die. And I can, I'm grateful that I was able to be there. And she wasn't alone. And as they were saying a the prayer, then I went on and I said my own prayer. And a line out of nowhere, it was like a beam of light came on the bed. Wow. And the thing that was so, it was, it's so interesting. When she got down to her last breath, mind you, my mom hadn't opened her eyes. There were times where I felt like I was talking to her, I fluttered. But her whole body had turned in and her face squinched 
And then literally all the color went out. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, I was like, oh, that's not my mom in there. But I can't tell you how alone it was. I didn't have to go to work to distract me. I didn't have 50 things to distract me. I was at my godmother's house. It's so weird. Well, I don't know what weird is. Grief is allowing yourself to feel the moment. I went to the movies by myself that day. Mm. It was so, it was so just dark. Even when I went back to my godmother's house, it's just weird. So even when I go to Detroit now, it ain't home. Because my mama's not there. It can be a very lonely moment. I don't know how you told that story and not cried and not even broke. I'm already crying. I think your jaw is going to drop when I tell my story. There's so much I relate to your story. You know, when you're young, you can't really dissect or understand or grasp the concept of death. It's kind of like, I mean, you understand that that person is no longer here. But it just doesn't hit you because when you're young, you only have so many years that you've been on earth. You only have so many experiences to count with the people that are around you. And when I mean young, I mean like nine or eight or six or, you know what I'm saying? You don't have the bonds like you would normally have, like through years of experiences, through years of bonds. So what I can say, the first death that meant something to me, I started experiencing real adult meaning of death right when I moved to New York, just like you. I moved in 2015 and I moved knowing that my grandma was not in the best shape. I had stayed in Mobile after graduation of my college graduation for just a year. And the reason why I use my college graduation as like this life checkpoint is because my college graduation was the last time everybody was there. And so when I moved in January 2015, my grandma passed away in June 2015. And mind you, I was only working at Pepper 21, working like $9 an hour. And I believe like maybe I did have money for my flight or maybe my mom paid like a portion of the flight towards whatever I was willing to put out. But my sister called me and I was actually just getting ready to clock out from my ship. And me and my sister are main ones that are like, we'll do the obituary. We curate all the photos. Like that's what we do. She normally deals with all, like, the funeral home, all that stuff. Like, she deals with that. We kind of already had expected it, but my grandma was such a pillar. It was a shock to our family, right? It was not the same. Even going home, it wasn't the same. Mm-hmm. And my mom and everybody, they even though my, my grandma, she had dementia, and they had drained the blood out of her, and then... From there, it was like a decline. And I left in that decline, but it wasn't until after I left that she actually passed away. And I feel like a few months after that, February of 2016, just months after, right, from June to February, my granddaddy passed. And he passed of prostate cancer, which he's had for a long time. And both of them, honestly, they died in the house. They didn't want to go to the hospital. That was just not their MO. And so they got their own wish. Like, they both died in that house. That one hurt me the most because 
I felt like I have more memories with my granddad than I do with my grandmother. A lot of my older cousins, they typically have more memories with my grandma because at that point, you know, she was more active in their life, whereas I'm the last grandchild and I had such an age gap between all of my siblings and my cousins. She was more lenient. And so Mm -hmm. she didn't really have a hand in my upbringing. But I have more memories of my granddad because he was the one cooking breakfast. He was the one taking me to school. He was the one, you know, that would give us like two quarters to go to the ice cream truck to get a popsicle. Like those are certain memories that I remember from my granddad. When he passed, like that's when it hurt me the most. But what really took me out the game was a few months after that, November of 2016, I was working like a Black Friday for Thanksgiving or whatever. And I was working, I think at the time, two retail jobs. Or maybe just one. I was working a gap. I do remember that. And I had been working a gap all day. Literally from 12 to 12. And I had no opportunity to call my folks on Thanksgiving to tell them, you know, happy Thanksgiving, what's going on or whatever. Because I was just that tired from working literally all day. It was like a couple of days after Thanksgiving. It was like on a Sunday. Somebody had hit me up on Facebook message saying that, oh my God, Alon, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. What's going on? And they was like, Marilyn just went to the hospital, which is my aunt. Oh my God. And so I called my mom. She was like, why did they do that? You know, we weren't trying to scare you or make you stressed out for no reason. And I'm like, no, what is going on? That's when they said, like, yeah, she's, like, in critical condition because we believe she probably had a stroke at church. They had made mention, too, as well, saying that she was laying down all day at Thanksgiving because her head was hurting so bad. And then, of course, just like what you said, that's when the guilt started coming, right? Because I had already experienced my grandmother passing and me not being there. I had already experienced my granddaddy passing and me not being there. Now, this unexpected occurrence happened. And now I'm feeling like I didn't call on Thanksgiving. And had I called and said, y'all need to go to the hospital, she feeling bad. These are things that you create in your head. You know what I'm saying? Like, had I did this, then I would have, you know what I'm saying? And and it's not realistic. But that's when the guilt comes to play. And so from there, again, me being in New York, I'm outside of the day-to-day on people who might still be grieving of my granddaddy, people who might still be grieving because of my grandmother. People still haven't grasped the concept of these two main pillars in the family are not walking around in that house anymore. And then something like this happens where none of us expected it, right? Because as we try to make sense about life, you would think the oldest after that, like we got we got some time to worry about if somebody going to die again. You know what I'm saying? We can expect somebody who's 87 or something years old. Yeah, they lived a full life, but we got some time. No, life don't work like that. Don't work like that. And so with that said, that's when I began to learn my lessons. Like life does not work in mm. that way. And that was the first example. And it was because of that same grief that I then learned a hard lesson of be mindful of how long you grieve. 
Because when I tell you, when we lost her, I was out. And I had just started a relationship. And it was like night and day. Me mentally, it was like night and day. Like I was good. Life was great. And then all of a sudden, it, it started. My I even felt my relationship started to decline at that time. At that time, because I was so heartbroken wow. when she when because I felt like I was robbed, and I grieved way too long. I grieved for about two years and didn't even know it. But here's the thing: I, I don't know. I, I you know you said you have to be mindful of how long you grieve. Yes. I don't know what the time frame is for grieving because I probably went back to work to New York for two weeks after two weeks. Cause I'm like, well, what am I going to do? Yeah. Um, I don't think I really started grieving my mother until years later. And as I'm listening to you, how you're saying how um, other family members died, like my, my cousin had died a year later. And then a couple of months after that, no, a couple of months, my aunt died, my mom's baby sister who sat in the hospital bed room with me and even stayed the night there. Then a couple of months later after that, my cousin died. So when you say like you, you grieve for too long, what does that look like? Do you think perhaps because you didn't, you never gave yourself time to feel it or you distracted no. yourself? No, I, I grieve for too long because my mental was not okay when that happened. And there were so many things that I needed to do for myself because I had just made that transition to move to New York. And I had so many things that I needed to do, but my headspace was so bogged down with so many things. I just felt like life was not working for me. I needed a full-time gig. I needed insurance at that point because I was 26 and that shit got cut off. There were so many things I needed to do for me and it just felt like I was running. I was exhausted every day. I was not okay. Mentally, I was not. I was not a great person. I was angry. Mm. I was angry at myself. I was defensive. In result of me feeling that way, all of these things, like my relationship failed. My job kept running me down, working in radio. And I thought, you know, work would distract me. No, it made it worse. Mm. And so when all of these things began to crumble in front of my face was when I began to hit my version of rock bottom. And it wasn't until I hit rock bottom that I began to clean up my mess, right? And make some sense on what needs to change because you can't keep doing this. And then that's when the forgiveness of myself came about. Because that guilt that I had, that's not real. Life gonna do what it's gonna do. What's the point of you being upset with your damn self about life doing what it needs to do? You can't allow life to do you. You got to do life. And that's what I'm saying. But you know, it's interesting. I'm listening to you, how you're saying uh, of your process with grief and how you forgiving yourself. I'm charging this. That's why I got to go so hard for my dreams. Yes. Like I have to make it work. Absolutely. Because I'm going to have to make sense in my brain why I was away from my mother at the time that I was because I could have been there. Mm-hmm. So that's why I think when I explain to people and the risks, I'm willing to go for this because that's the only way this will make sense to me. And I'm not sure if I will or can or how I would digest of trying to forgive myself if I don't make it happen. Because she believed in me that much. And because I can't get that time back. No, we all need motivation. So you use something that could render hurt towards you. You use it as a way to motivate you to push forward. Is I don't that see all the way healthy? 
I don't know, because I'm not sure if I ever really dealt with it. I was I just thinking you. today, I was like, I probably need to go to therapy. Yeah, probably. That would be, <laughs> that's something we should look into. And I keep and saying it. that's but like, when I started to go, when I was at rock bottom, I started to go and I realized like this guilt that you carrying around like a suitcase, why are you carrying that shit around? How did you know you were at rock bottom? What was happening? All the things were bogging. Like you down couldn't get out of bed. I was yes. It was. I was like so. Mm. I was miserable at work. I was miserable at home. I was miserable on my walk home. I was miserable on my commute. I was just miserable, and it permeated mm. through everything I touched, everything mm. I was involved with, and I had to fix it. I had to fix myself, and that's not even it, because as I was fixing it. That's when my sister passed away in 2019. That was the situation where I had to then apply what I had to learn in the previous situation of my grief and pain. I had to now apply it. And I had to tell myself, Alon, you can't grieve like how you did before. You cannot, you do not have the capacity. You can't, you can't look back anymore. You cannot go back to grieving that hard and that long. Life is going to keep going. And then people want you to push forward. They want you to keep living. Because what's the yeah. point of dying if, you, if you're not living? Right. Right? Because you're just dead functioning. Correct. And I think that's what has charged me in my grieving process of why I'm like, you got to live life on purpose and for a purpose. Absolutely. You know, just like, you know, you ask God to grow and it starts raining or perhaps there's rain in every rainbow or when someone transitions out of your life because grieving comes in a lot of ways. It isn't just death of a family member. It can be death to the old you and bad habits. Well, yeah, I was grieving you know? my relationship even at the time when, you get what I'm saying? Like I was grieving a lot. Mm -hmm. And then when my sister died, like I couldn't even pack my suitcase. I didn't have it in me to even pack my suitcase. A friend came down from Boston to help me. I'll never forget that morning. My mama called me four in the morning crying. And I screamed. And I was still living with my ex. It was just grief and pain all around me. And the part that hurt the most in connection to that situation was my anger towards my sister's husband. I'm not going to lie to you. And I've talked about that in the care episode for those who want to listen. But also my heart hurt for her children. The part that really gets me. My nephew was two when she died. So he won't know his mom, right? And my niece, I didn't know how she would feel. I didn't know how she would process it. But what I can say was when I went home, Christmas of 2018 was when I last seen her. And just like what you said, me not going through the day-to-day -day on her having her brain tumor surgery and the recovery and her process from October of 2018 all the way to like December, that whole process, I wasn't there. I was in New York. But my mom and sister was there every step of the way. So to them, what they see as progress, I'm coming in and I'm looking like, that's not my sister. Mm -hmm. And then that's when I started to have my feelings flow. And it was, it was different. It was different. And from there, 
when she passed away in April of 2019, I couldn't do nothing but grieve for my nieces and nephews. Because I didn't know what that looked like. I didn't see how life would push forward. And then also, I felt sad for my oldest sister because she's already such a force. She's had more years with her than I had. She even said in the episode, she was always there for her, you know? To go from that to now, like, she has to be like a secondary caretaker for her kids. I was just like, I just need my sister to be okay. I don't want anything to happen to her. I don't want her to overexert herself. I don't want her to be stressed. Like, I was like, praying to God. Like, I was like, please make sure my sister's okay. And uh, of course, the hurt that my mom felt like she still can't even go to her house to date. Mm. It was really hard. Lastly, my dad in 2020. Oh, my. And I talked about that in a previous episode as well, where I only cried one night. And that was the night when I learned that he had passed away. And this was a different type of grief, only in the standpoint of like so much anger was embedded. Mm. Because on his deathbed, he blamed me for him laying in the bed. I've talked about that in the episode, yeah. Wait, what? Yes, he blamed me for him laying there with prostate cancer and him being in such a bad situation. As I was visiting him in the middle of a pandemic in South Carolina, yes. When he passed away, I would, that kind of came back. It relived in my heart, in my mind. And then also I began to reflect and thought about his impact and so many missed opportunities that he had in connection to his kids and his grandchildren. That made me so disappointed to tears until I literally went to sleep and I, I cried myself to sleep that night and I didn't cry again. And we had a digital service and everything for him. But I had never grieved in that way, I can say. So that was very different. To not have a, a really a strong relationship with somebody. To be so angry at somebody you barely even know. Whew. Okay, y'all. We're going to go to reflection question. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So first question. What lessons has grief taught you? Grief has taught me that people, those you love, aren't in things. It's taught me to live my life out boldly and take a chance because now I know that you can die. In many ways in the grieving process, it's taught me and has shed light on how powerful vulnerability is. Because even just me sharing and being able to share, we were able to connect because you said, hey, Dawn, that happened to me too. Grieving has also taught me how to forgive. Forgive myself, forgive others. A real strong sense of release. I can agree wholeheartedly with that. Another lesson I feel grief teaches you, I feel like it teaches you to be humble. There is no sense of humility than when grief knocks on your door. Hey. And it really brings things into perspective that life is short. All of these petty things, all of these fights, all of these grudges that you hold from people, it doesn't mean anything when life mm -mm. is taken away. Mm -mm. 
And I think another thing that makes me angry and what grief has taught me, people get to acting real funny when somebody dies. Money starts coming into place. And then that's when start separations and all of these things start to happen. I feel like even the movie Soul Food brought things into perspective because when I grew up watching it, I never understood what the whole theme of that movie was until I, it started happening to me. I feel like those are lessons that grief has taught me. Second question, how can I help myself through the process of grief? Allowing self to feel. Feel whatever it is that you need to feel in that moment. And that's even sometimes setting boundaries on certain things and people. Because even like I said with myself, of how I use work as a distraction and everything else like a distraction, had I given myself permission to feel what I needed to feel, I'm not going to say it was supposed to happen differently. It happened how it's supposed to happen. Mm -hmm. But I think there would have been a different sort of release. And it's just like you have to let go. They've transitioned. Whatever it is, something has left you, so allow it to flee. Because in that grieving process, you make room for something else, whether you're making room to learn something more about yourself, making room for you to accomplish whatever it is you'd accomplish, making room to receive the kind of love that you deserve, whatever it is. When something is taken away, when something is, is removed, I have to remind myself is that that's space for an abundance or for something else to come in. Yeah, I feel like what's also helpful, what's helped me in terms of my aunt, and this is the lesson that I've learned with my aunt, think of it as living in tribute for the person that you miss the most. Instead of holding on to the regret or the pain or the feelings of ripped away from that person, mm. reapply that narrative and say, I'm going to live in tribute for this person. This person would not want me to be sitting here stagnant, sobbing for their life every second of the day. They would want me to move on. Mm -hmm. They would want to see me do great. They would want me to push forward and succeed. When I do things, when I listen to certain songs, when I do certain things that remind me of my aunt, I begin to have a, such gratefulness because my sister, she's the one that gave me my musical ear that I have today. She's the one that gave me the taste that I have musically. I owe that to her. And my aunt, there are so many things that I think about. All I could do is live in tribute. Question number three. The world doesn't seem to understand my pain, yet I feel so alone. So for those who feel that way, what advice would you give them? Well, you're not alone because you're not the only one that's going through it. And that's what I feel like something with grief will try to do is to isolate you mm -hmm. and allow you to shut down. But that whole process of letting go and just opening up, because I think even, I think even you think about it, if you try to hold on to something, you got to grasp it. Once you let go, you're opening up for it to breathe, for it to heal. You also open up for other people and things to come in. When we can get to that point of realization of it's not just you, and you know it's not just you because you start talking and you start sharing, you realize that you're not. But again, there's this thing that's called grace. Give yourself the moment to get to where you need to go because what you don't need to do is put another level of stress on you feeling like you're supposed to be somewhere that you ain't. And wherever you are is okay. That is the greatest thing to understand. Wherever you're in your process, that's okay. It's not going to look like somebody else. It doesn't have to like somebody else's time frame. It's for you to feel what you need to feel. And 
if you're feeling in that alone process, remember we are responsible for the life that we live. We have to happen to life. You have to look in your toolbox. You have to dig in your toolbox and use your resources. Your resources may look like that close confidant friend. That resource may look like that therapy. That resource may look like that working out or whatever it is that you need to do, but you have to find something to focus to do the betterment of you. And I think another bad habit that people get into in terms of grief, just to your point to say that grief isolates people, people mm. start comparing their hurt to somebody else's. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And that's so unhealthy and that Not only fair. perpetuates the isolation. It's so unfair because everybody's experience with a particular person is going to be far different and everybody grieves differently. So even to judge somebody to say, you're not grieving hard enough, is very unfair. And however Um, you choose your process of grieving is unfair. Any type of judgment for that, because you're not me. mm -hmm. I agree. So yeah, I think the caveats to that is understanding you're not alone, giving yourself grace, and then also not comparing your hurt to somebody else's and not judging somebody else's level of hurt. Number four, did I feel like I needed to hide my grief? Or could I grieve honestly? I probably hid it and didn't know I was hiding it or subconsciously. Mm. And I say that I remember, I remember I was on 33rd Street and I was talking to my mentor, Cynthia. She was over at BLS. And at that time, I don't think I was still working with them. It was because a lot of things were transitioning with me, just my mom. And so that job was released. But we were on the phone and I was like, again, not realizing I'm not allowing myself to feel it. I was like, well, you know, I'm grateful I was there with my mom. I was like, you know, this is going to be great because I was like, you know, this is just another platform for me to speak on motivational speaking. And she's like, uh-uh, wait a minute. What about you feeling whatever it is for you need to, whatever you need to feel? And I realized that that was a way of not putting myself first and loving in myself first. The same thing that my mom showed me and saying, hey, don't I live my life, live yours. Not on the neglect, you gotta what? Make sure you keep your head above the water because whoever you love and what's a connection to you, just like you said, whatever is an extension of you, if you don't take care of yourself, everything will crash and burn. Yeah. I used that as a way when I started talking, I felt like I started just telling the story of my mom, but when I recall in a, in a way of sense of actually feeling it, I think that's when it became more visible. Let me tell you something else about grief. Grief will have you thinking about how human somebody is and not so human they are. It's mm. one of two things. Okay. And relieving yourself of guilt to say something that may be negative about the person that passed away. And I think that's making room for yourself to grieve and feel what you're feeling. Mm -hmm. Because it doesn't mean that that was a perfect person. Yes. But oftentimes you don't want to talk bad about somebody that's not here anymore. But then what are you doing again? You are hiding your emotions. You are concealing yourself. That is the truth. I'm honest about it. Like I tell people all the time, like my sister was lazy. Now, now that she gone, it ain't no sense of hiding who she was. Everybody know who my sister was. Mm You know what I'm saying? But that's that's just the memory on who she is. That doesn't make her a bad person, you know? Mm-hmm. And even in terms of my dad, my dad shouldn't have had kids. I say that to this day, but I'm here by the grace of God. But he just, it, he wasn't fit for it. He ain't had a mindset for it. And he definitely wasn't mm-hmm. moving like he had kids. It just what it is. Um, 
And I think I've learned that as well is facing the facts of certain situations so that you can grieve in a healthy manner. My mom didn't grieve in a healthy manner. And one of those things I'm going to tell you, telling yourself that it's not about you. Somebody's death is not about you. Somebody's life is not about you. You are Mm. not in procession of that experience that that person gave. What that person gave, that was, that was their story. That was their legend. Yeah. Yeah. And so you don't get to have a decision to keep that person here on earth in a vegetated state, in Wait, pain, talk about it. in sickness, hey. in struggling, or whatever it is that they were going through as the reason why they were gone. You don't get to drag them throughout their life miserable. They are completely fine where they are right now. I promise you. That was something like grief or the love. I don't know. I guess the greatest form of love that I realized was, that I learned was in grief. The same yeah. thing with you said, because we could have kept my mom on the machine, but we don't know what your pain was. All we Correct. knew was your blood pressure. And it was like, at this point, again, let me let and you know. And thinking go. about her mindset, would she want to feel like the value of her life was sitting in a vegetative state in the bed on a breathing tube? Mm-hmm. Do you think the, the value of her life was in that moment right then? No. But here's another thing. We Again, we have to give ourselves grace of doing the best that we can in the Absolutely. moment. Because here we are, my sister and I, we were like, after a few days, we need to take our mom off the machine. Well, I told yeah. you, it had to be probably uh, months later that my aunt died. And my aunt, I probably, or people were trying to say, well, we don't think y'all should have let Janice go. You know, I just feel like the doctors didn't Gee, know anything. That's too much. And then my aunt died. They left her so long on the machine. Do you, are you familiar with the Michelin man? It's like this tire guy. My aunt was so petite. She blew up so much and came down. But again, my aunt told her, keep me alive. So Mm. we do what we do, what we know. Again, in this grieving process, if you are grieving, give yourself grace. And say you're choosing the best that you can choose. But realize what that looks like in consideration for everyone outside of you, like you said. Because it ain't just about you. Right. Yeah. Number five, who can I count on to help me through my grief? I say my sister, I can count on to help me through my grief. And my friend, Shelly, people that I feel like I can share and and be myself. Because grief can throw you in a sense of shame. Yeah. And I think that's what happened to my mom. We grew up in shame. Because there was so much loss, my mom hoarded things. She kept things. So nobody could come in. When you don't let anybody in, what is that? That isolation. So if you are going through something, you see it's just a constant downward thing. But again, you do the best with what you know how to do. Yeah. Yeah. I could definitely count on my sister. But that's pretty much anything. And I'm sure y'all felt that in the episode too. (laughs) Um, That's just who she is. But I think now as an adult and able to maintain my own, I become more mindful. Like, I don't want her to be that. And I don't want her to be that for her. That's a lot. Yeah. Get what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I want her to be whoever she wants to be. I don't want her to feel like she always has to be of service to everybody around her. Mm. And that I really feel. Number six, last one. How will other people grieve when I die? Y'all better be laughing when I die <laughs> and feeling inspired. I do not want to be buried. I want to be cremated and throw me out in the water because I like the water. Okay. Yeah. I know it might sound creepy, but I'm like, 
I should start making some videos and just talking, just telling people things about me and what I like to do. I, I, but then who cares to see it? I don't know. <laughs> just, let me get to that real thing. You know, social media and the whole grieving process, I, you know, I really don't like the fact that, do you ever feel compelled like you're supposed to put up somebody like no, it's an anniversary no, or birthday? No, I don't, like, I don't like I felt like that. And that. I was like, I got to stop doing that. Yes. I'm like, that's, what is, no, but who, they're triggering. not here. Yeah, but it's triggering because, again, I feel like it's still such pain with my sister and my aunt. When people do that, I have to stay off social media that whole day because mm. it, it it messes with me. So um, you never feel like, I have to post something so they know that I love I them. Or that No, show. because I feel like that love is always within me. I don't have to post anything. I don't have to share anything. But, again, this is coming from somebody who only post on Instagram on their grid like what two times a year <laughs> so yeah I have a certain idea about I don't like to think of myself like you better cry or you better you better come to my funeral you know I, I'm not like that however I do know the experience that I give to my friends people who are close to me family I know I'm very impactful I'm aware of that and when people are impactful in other people's lives, of course, you're going to feel that void. You're going to feel that hole. You're going to feel it. It's going to hurt. So that's the reality of the situation. So I do know that. Mm. But again, I just want people to live in tribute because I don't want anybody to stifle or pause their life out of hurt for losing somebody. I don't want that. Because I know it almost happened to me. It almost happened to me. Mm, that's love right there. When you know what's happening to you and you love somebody so much, you wouldn't want it to happen to someone else. No. I, I like don't. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank well, you, Don, for your thank story. Thank you. Well. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. And showing up today. Listen, in the million dollar studio. It was studio, a whole mode. <laughs> it really was. Okay, because you made me cry up in here. And that's so crazy because we have such a commonality on knowing what it feels like to be on the outside of a situation. Knowing what it feels like to go out and shoot the stars for your dreams, even though things are like really bogging you down mentally. Mm -hmm. But you every day make a decision to push forward in your life. And there's strength in that. Mm -hmm. You know, this quote came to me when I was at Howard. Mm Mm-hmm. What allows a diamond to shine are the multitudes of cuts that have been placed within it. Mm. And these cuts can be depression. It can be whatever failures, anything that's imperfect with you. But when you step into the light, whether your light looks like vulnerability, your light looks like you to feel whatever it is so that you can be seen, that's how you shine. The light starts to reflect all these moments of whatever you thought that pain was. No, that's your beauty. Mm. People who may be grieving people who may be going through feeling a void of somebody maybe recently, or they may be feeling that void. That's like a 12 year void. Who knows? Hmm. You are not alone. And at some point, if you feel like it's bigger than you seek help, seek support. You are still here living, breathing every day as an opportunity to be greater, to be better and live in tribute. Don, would you like to promote? Yes. Guys, I share this kind of stories and more on my podcast, Vitamin D with Dawn Day. Amazing. It's available wherever you get your favorite podcast. Um, I actually had a line on there, so we'll keep you posted when that episode is coming up. 
Um, would love your support as well as subscribing and telling a friend and checking it out and to follow on social media at vitamin D dawn day. That's D A I. And one last thing, promote yourself, mm. love on yourself, mm. get excited about your life and remind yourself that you're here for a purpose and on a purpose. Oh, and one thing I always say, mm-hmm. always remember you are your greatest asset. And that's the truth. That is the Catch truth. It. And you guys can always hit us up on a whole mood podcast on Instagram. And you can follow me anywhere you get your favorite podcast. I'm Alon. That's Don. A whole mood. Mean Old Lion Media, where black and brown voices truly matter. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where are my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. Oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen.